Welcome to In But Not Of, a podcast dedicated to applying a Christian worldview to the study of history and culture. We're so glad that you could join us today. Welcome, everybody. So just when I thought it was okay to move on to a new topic, within the last week or so, we've had news of another concert that got out of control, leading unfortunately in this case, to the death of several people and the injury of maybe over 100 people. So on Friday, November 5th in Houston, Texas at the Astral World concert, as of the recording of this podcast, 10 people have died uh, at the Travis Scott concert, including a nine-year-old boy. All of those who were who died uh, we're under the age of 28, including two teenagers. So, you know, in our last installment of A Tale of Two Cities, we looked at Woodstock 99 and the chaos that ensued during that show. Now, at the time, of course, and I, I still do, I, I argue that it was a long time coming, given some of the misconceptions we had concerning the concerts that came prior to it. So the podcast series was The Tale of Two Cities, where we primarily focused on Woodstock and Altamont. But going by Altamont, we looked at the attempts that were made to kind of recapture the magic that was at Woodstock of 69, or at least the myth of it. So we saw the more successful Woodstock 90, I guess it was 94, and then 99, of course, was, was the real disaster. Now, as this week, as news surfaced of the tragic scene at the Travis, uh, Travis Scott show, uh, we, we were reminded of what we what we saw at those concerts so many years ago. And as of today, there's been at least 90 civil lawsuits that have been filed against the organizers of the concert. And that shouldn't surprise us today. Uh, you know, we when we ended our last podcast, actually looking at Woodstock 99, that came on the heels of four individuals who had died at Altamont 30 years earlier in 1969. But we know that at Woodstock 99, there were multiple sexual assaults that took place. And as we as the news footage kind of hit the airways this week, as we looked at what happened at Travis Scott, there were many things that were very similar to the things that we looked at. And I just want to connect those dots a little bit, as well as look at maybe what was different this time. So uh, maybe many of you don't even know who Travis Scott is. Maybe some of you do. Uh, but I remember uh, about three years ago, I guess, I was asking high school students who their favorite artists were. And it's very hard to keep up with it year to year because it changes so quickly. And they kept bringing up this this guy's name, Travis Scott. You know, I had no idea who he was. Uh, but I looked him up and, you know, listened to, to some of, of who he was and, you know, some of his some of his music. But he's a rap artist and he's made quite a name for himself. Um, as a matter of fact, the New York Times has run stories on him. And in one article, they call him an avatar of excess and a conductor of energy. Now, you could kind of say that for a lot of singers and musicians in the past, right? An avatar of excess and a conductor of energy. As a matter of fact, you look at some of the great front front uh, frontmen of, of some of the famous rock and roll bands, you could almost call them all that, right, to some degree. But Travis Scott has become famous for something known as raging. Now, when we take this to a concert scene, what this what this includes is mosh pits, crowd surfing, 
and stage diving. Now, none of this is, is again, anything new. Uh, you can go back to Woodstock 94 and, and see see all of that. Um, you know, think of scenes of the 90s, late, uh, I guess, mid to late 90s of Axl Rose diving into the state, into the crowd. But Travis Scott has said that his goal at the concerts is he wants his concerts to feel like the WWE, a professional wrestling event. As a matter of fact, he even in the past encouraged a concert goer to jump off a second story balcony. And of course, obviously great detriment to the person himself as well as anybody that would be uh, in, in the region. And Scott has actually been arrested twice before for inciting riots. A concert review from Complex was titled, I Tried Not to Die at Travis Scott. So this thing has been bubbling up for many, many uh, you know, years here. And isn't it weird when you think of how long ago it was, decades ago, when Jim Morrison made, made national and maybe international headlines for being arrested in New Haven, Connecticut for doing the same thing, inciting a riot. The song Blood in the Streets, if you listen to that by, by Jim Morrison, it's this idea, blood in the streets in the town of New Haven. Um, but again, he was arrested for inciting a riot. Now, today, this has become much more commonplace. You know, we've been dealing with this for, for decades now in terms of inciting riots and what that is and what it isn't. And, and where's that line? Well, in a scene that was obviously way too familiar from what we've talked about, this concert begins. And the first thing that happens is thousands rush the barricade. They, they plow their way through into the concert venue, uh, knocking the security guards aside, some of them elderly. Uh, you see middle fingers getting, getting you know, flipped at the security guards. And essentially, you know, these people are pouring into the venue without being scanned. Now, before we think, oh, this is just a new thing with this new generation, remember that this happened in, 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 you know, maybe a calmer way at Woodstock, the original concert. But this has been a legacy of these shows for a long time. Woodstock 69 was never supposed to be a free concert. But it was as people began to, you know, just, just force their way into the show. Altamont was designed more that way. But, but this, you know, the, this is the real thing that has happened time and again. And so by the time the show starts, the crowd's estimated at nearly 50,000 people. Now, if you remember, though, the, the size of the crowd at Woodstock, while, of course, exaggerations have happened over the years, uh, it's, it was probably somewhere around 400,000. The size of the population at Altamont, even that was just a one-day show, was probably closer to 300,000. So 50,000, though, of this type of crowd is certainly enough to handle. And I should say it's not enough to handle, but it's it, it's a lot of people. And as interviews have been conducted with the concert goers uh, that were there that day, they kind of reveal that the minute as, as the day wore on, they became more and more uh, stuck in their place. And once the concert started, they many of them have said they couldn't move. There was nowhere to go. Um, they were literally trapped where they were. And a huge surge started when Travis Scott came on stage. And this is where people are suffocating. They're hitting the ground. Uh, you know, either they're passing out or they're, have, they're, they're going into cardiac arrest in some cases. 
you know, a lot of those details will will come out as we go. Uh, but this is a major scene, and people knew this was bad. If you listen to the audio of the concert, you can hear people yelling for help. Uh, people are trying to notify the cameraman who's kind of, you know, zooming in on Travis Scott, trying to just get his attention and see if he could do something. Could somebody, you know, stop what's happening? And this is where a chant actually starts among the crowd uh, that begins and, and, you know, the saying, stop the show. And they're chanting it over and over again. And at one point, Travis Scott actually stops the show, maybe more than once. And you can see an ambulance coming into the, the crowd and, and things along those lines. Uh, Drake later joins him on stage, and it's clear by that point that there was something going on. I, I think that the evidence is clear that by that time and, and by the time that ended, there was uneasiness enough to know that, that this was not just a normal. Now, when I say normal, remember what I said. You know, I'm sure ambulances are at a lot of Travis Scott shows just because of what he encourages and what, what the behavior of the crowd typically is. Which makes this even harder for the the artists to realize, I guess, or, or the or the organizers, what is actually happening? Is this is this you know to the magnitude of, of what you end up seeing later on? What did they know? When did they know it? And uh, what did they do about it? Those are big questions. It's also come out that there is roughly, I want to say, fifty nine people, uh, primarily responsible for the production of the show. And I think it was CNN that talked about the idea that the executive producer is really the only, you know, they said he's the only one that can actually officially stop the show. Uh, of course, it's hard to imagine, you know, obviously the person singing, uh, they stop singing and then the band stops playing. <laughs> I mean, the show's over, right? I, it, it, for all means and purposes. But because of the amount of money that's involved, Right. The number of people that are invested in this, they have a real bureaucracy in terms of who says what happens. Also, as the as you see the concert begin, there's actually video footage of police officers who were up in front, seeming pretty relaxed at the front of the stage, filming the show on their phones. And so at least at first, it seems that there was not a huge awareness that this show was going to get out of control. Now, 50,000 people, trust me, there was just like we've seen with Altamont and others, the uh, security or police force that was present was nowhere near what was needed to, to control a, a crowd this size. Uh, now, this became a major news story, obviously, within the last uh, week or so. And as it became a major part of the news cycle, just like normal, there was all sorts of rumors that were injected into the story, too. Uh, people, were, you know, one of the rumors was people were being injected with needles, causing their demise. Uh, this has been denied by the police department, uh, Houston police. And it's been, you know, uh, there does not seem to be enough evidence that this was true at this point. Uh, within this week, of course, you've seen Scott, Travis Scott, come out and express his condolences for all those who have passed away. He's offered to pay for their funerals. He's offered to refund ticket prices for those who attended uh, the concert and, uh, you know, ended early in the chaos that ensued. So he's, he's offered to to make that right. Uh, and so one of the questions, though, that has come up and, and people ask over and over again is, why didn't they stop the concert right away? And one of the concerns that was that was talked about here, and this this will this will uh, you know bring back a memory from our previous podcast. If you, by the way, if you haven't listened to them, I of course would highly encourage you to go back and listen to them because you'd see that there were some real parallels here. Um, but why didn't they stop the concert right away? Well, one of the issues 
is evidently there was a concern for how much worse things could have been uh, if if the show was immediately stopped. You know, as as the mood, the, the way the mood was and, uh, you know, everything that happened, what if you stopped the concert? Well, in a situation like this where you hear about, you know, 10 people being killed and a nine-year-old boy dying, um, we really don't know if it would have been better or worse because one of the things that happens is the people in the front of the show certainly know what's going on. They're the ones that are you know, uh, being subjected to the, the real push and the surge and things like that. But then you have maybe tens of thousands of people that are not near the front of the, the concert that might behave even worse uh, if, if, you know, they don't know what's going on and the show stops. We talked about this at Altamont. You know, at Altamont, if you remember, the Rolling Stones and the Grateful Dead essentially organized that disaster. And one of the things that happened once the Grateful Dead found out about the assaults that were happening near the stage and with musicians, they, they just got out of Dodge. They flew out of there. The Stones went on, and that, of course, became history. But, to, you know, in that situation, what if the Rolling Stones had followed the Grateful Dead out of the venue? Said, we're not doing this either. Well, with the, the, the mood that day, I don't think it's that hard to imagine how much worse things could have been. But that's hard to say at Travis Scott. We don't know. We know we know the behavior of the crowd and the type of behavior that was encouraged uh, was certainly something to be worried about. Would have been worse. We, we don't know. And, you know, we ended the discussion at Altamont. We talked about, you know, that day, the absolute disaster of that day. And even after that, 1969, large concerts continued to happen, and it really did little to dampen the spirit of trying to replicate that that ultimate first Woodstock. Uh, you know, and again, one thing that's forgotten about Woodstock, the original concert, 69, was the burning of the hot dog stand and the lawlessness, the lawlessness that led to it being a free concert. That is in the DNA of all of these things that we've seen. Ten years after Woodstock 69, you had several people trampled to death in 1979 at a Who concert in Cincinnati. It wasn't until 20 years after that, though, with the travesty of, of 99, when everyone seemed to be taking a collective breath and contemplated the danger that is always lurking at these large festivals. Well, think about that now. That is, that is over 20 years ago. Now, the other thing that happened, going back to Altamont, is you saw the four deaths that occurred there, the, the assaults that happened, just the, 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 uh, the drug overdoses that took place. Despite all of that, there was very little accountability in the aftermath at Altamont. Even the Hells Angel that was responsible for the death of Meredith Hunter walked away. There was a, a lawsuit, and a, and a very small amount of money was actually uh, given to the, uh, uh, the, the Hunter family. Um, but I think it's safe to say that that's not going to happen this time. We are a much more litigious society than we were in 1969. And Travis Scott, Drake, just about everybody else that's involved in any way with this concert will pay a, a certain price for this for sure. And despite the deaths and the injuries at this concert, the question comes up, well, can we... Out of this tragedy, can we learn anything from it? Is there anything good that could possibly come out of this? Well, I think one of the things that needs to happen is it's about time, and I'm not saying this hasn't happened, but 
concert organizers really need to take a long, hard look at the idea of general admission. So, you know, I, I, uh, I've been to concerts and, you know, in a few different states. And I know the, the venue that I typically go to, which is closest to me, um, in, in the Civic Center in Hartford, you, you can see a clear separation before, between the floor seats, the stage, and even behind that where the camera crews are and the sound people and all the rest of it. It's, it's, it's really designed as, as I get an image of it to be safe that even in a rambunctious crowd, the security could get down there pretty easily and they're not going to be having to fight their way through this massive, just general admission uh, type of thing. Um, and I think that there are, are really some inherent problems with this, especially when you're dealing with popular bands. I remember at a, at a, a couple of concerts of general admission, I, I squeezed my way up to the front row for Crosby, Stills and Nash. Neil Young, I was maybe fifth row behind. Now, thankfully, at those concerts, you know, they didn't lend themselves to violence, but there was pushing and shoving. And I can remember some tempers getting heated. And I, I really do. Uh, you know, I really was able to feel what could happen in a situation like that. Now, it should also be obvious to everyone that the type of music and the message that's put forth on stage can have a direct effect on how the audience behaves. You know, it's hard to imagine something that happened at Travis Scott happening at the original Woodstock, for instance, or, or, or maybe even at a folk festival. Think of that. When you look at footage of Woodstock 69 and you see Country Joe, uh, Country Joe and the Fish sing their feeling like I'm fixing to die rag, the anti-Vietnam War anthem, you see the crowd really come to life. There's F-bombs being thrown around and they're, they're really, you know, expressing themselves in, in rage about the, the war in Vietnam. You see the crowd come to life, but it is really quite mild compared with the later incidents. And if you look, compare that to what happened at Travis Scott, it seems really, really mild. Um, so who was on stage? And we talked about this at Woodstock 99 with Limp Biscuit and some of the other, uh, you know, the, the, the magnitude of what they were encouraging from the stage uh, and the behavior, the changing behavior that you saw over the years is directly re you know, related to the type of music and the message that is being given. You know, think of the last two years. Yes, there were examples of peaceful protests. We've had a lot of protests over the last years that we've seen, but there has also been a large number of lawless riots where law enforcement was unable or unwilling to bring things under control many times uh, through no fault of their own in, in many cases. That has had to have a, a, a connection here at Travis Scott. The stuff that we've seen happen in the streets, the looting, some of those other things, uh, it, it can't help but you know help to kind of create a situation like we saw. Now, with all that said, we, the, the, we can place blame all day long. That's easy to do. Um, but what should be our response? What should our be, be our response as, as people who embrace and, and, and cling to a Christian worldview? Well, I think the most important thing is to mourn the loss of life and the countless number of people that this tragedy has and will touch. You know, we're coming up on Thanksgiving. And uh, I, I think it's important to remember the number of families that will have empty chairs at the table because of this. And for every holiday that will continue, how much it'll hurt, how much they'll remember year after year, long after this is forgotten. 
we need to, you know, pray for those people and, and pray for those situations and, and all of that. And I think we need to, to, to pray for our own hearts in the midst of this as well. You know, somebody like Travis Scott becomes an easy target. Reap, you know, this idea that, that he had, you know, encouraged some of this behavior in the past, that he had been arrested twice. Yes, there, there is a point where th there needs to be accountability. But we also need to remember, but for the grace of God, we may find ourselves in a similar situation. Now, it's clear here that Scott really didn't learn from his past mistakes and near disasters. But, you know, we tend to be the same way with the circumstances that we struggle with. The difference is, of course, they're not on such a grand scale as this. We're not in the public spotlight. We're not, you know, we're not multimillionaires. Uh, but were we in our 20s? Were we tempted to the degree that Travis Scott is and things like that? I think it should humble us a little bit to understand, uh, you know, would what would we do? Now, he has built a career on this. His identity is largely wrapped up in similar behavior that we saw here. So this is what becomes very, very bothersome and really does need accountability. But we need to watch our hearts in the midst of this too. As Job 4.8 says, as I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Galatians 6, 7 through 8 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. So there was plenty of things that were sown here uh, ahead of time that unfortunately has come to pass. And, you know, these verses go much deeper than just being about Travis Scott and, and Drake and some of the other people involved with this concert. There are many, many, many people involved in putting on these shows who help tragedies like who helped indirectly. And if certainly I'm not suggesting for one moment that they wanted this to happen. But there are many people that are connected to making something like this actually become a reality. And when you think of the pent up anger and resentment that's normally there that we have living in a fallen world full of corruption, injustice, division and despair. Think about how much more this has been magnified over the last two years. And unfortunately, the events that unfolded at the Travis Scott concert were in some ways also a consequence of that. But it's important to remember that despite these dark times, it is still the light of the gospel that can bring hope, healing, and restoration to our fallen world. And it was amazing how quick that anger and that frustration and that absolute rebellion turned into mourning and sadness and tears. And that's where the church needs to show up and, and, and to be a, a light in a dark place. Not an I told you so, not... Not, not some of those things. Because as ambassadors, we have to toe the line where we don't allow our own personal frustrations and political anger to choke out the pure gospel message. The gospel is offensive enough without us adding to that offense. But let's be clear, that does not mean we sit quietly as falsehood and chaos reign supreme. The sixth chapter of Ephesians, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day 
and having done all to stand firm. So the question is, can you connect your anger and frustration that you're feeling to the word of God? Well, if not, maybe it's time to do more reflection before we post on social media or make a bold statement in front of a group of people. If we can connect our anger and frustration to the word of God, then let's let the word of God have the final say. Well, that's all we have time for today. But remember, everybody, all truth is God's truth. And if Jesus is who he says he is, then that changes everything. We hope you enjoyed being with us today. Join us each week for In But Not Of, a podcast dedicated to applying a Christian worldview to the study of history and culture.